Bible podcast. We hope you'll enjoy this message by Pastor Joey Bonifacio. Today, as we continue in the series, we're tackling from the book of Ruth, one of the shortest books in the Bible that is amazingly elegantly written, the significance of which is there are no amazing miracles in the story, nothing to do with larger-than-life characters or heroes of the Bible, but are stories about very ordinary people, in particular, one person named Ruth. Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 opens with the words, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. There we see the opening statement, the first verse, the first line of the first verse, in the days of the, when the judges ruled. This was a days, the days when a dark, very dark era in the history of Israel. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone just did what they saw fit, as Judges 17.6 says. Now it says further, there was a famine. Think about being in a dark age and there is a natural occurrence of famine. And this was a, a and, and, and in this story, you find a huge cast of characters at the front end. There was a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons. Here immediately, we find a family of four. And they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, it's interesting to know that this set of characters were from Israel and from Judah in Bethlehem, and they went to a place called Moab. To be clear, and for you to understand the context, Moab is a very dark place. The reason why this is a very dark place is because the people there are very ungodly who literally offered their children to false gods as an offering, burned them up. Uh, it's historically uh, a, a nation that is uh, the enemies of the people of Israel. And it's funny that they would go there. And lastly, it's dark because they were descendants of Lot born from incest with his oldest daughter. You can just think about how dark this lineage is. Ruth chapter 1 verse 2 continues, the man's name was Elimelech, introducing us to the first character, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Now think about this, right? Dark Ages, Book of Judges. Uh, famine in the land, and then your husband dies. Like you can just imagine the plight and the situation of this wife and his family. Being in a famine is bad enough. Losing your husband is altogether a different story. Now, the two sons married Moabite women. They intermarried with the one named Orpah, not Oprah, and the other woman named Ruth. Now, we find two additional characters minus one, the father. After they have lived 10 years in this particular place, in other words, they start out there just for a, a while that they intended to, but they ended up living there for 10 years. And both of the Malon and Kilion also died. Now, think about Naomi, who had just moved and it famine and the husband dies. Now, it's one thing for your husband to die. It's a completely different thing to see your children die, let alone two of your children die at the same time. Now, Naomi was left with her two sons, uh, but, 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 and now Naomi was left with, without her two sons and her husband, and she was now literally just by herself. I've entitled this message, Bankrupt But Blessed, as you will see in the rest of the story. And, and here we find in chapter 1, verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back to each of you, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. 
In the beginning, both of these women were pleading and weeping and asking her, please let us not go back to where we came from. But at some point, Naomi had to explain to them that uh, you you must do that. Now, Naomi said to them, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who would become your husbands? Each of them were now being poised to make choices. Each choice had to be made whether they were going to go with her or not. For some reason, they wanted to stay. Maybe there was something they saw in her, in her husband, in her family, in their husbands, because they were godly people while they themselves were ungodly. First point is this. During a famine, during a time of darkness, our choices will determine our destiny. And Ruth, as well as Orpah, had to decide what they were going to do. Further, in Ruth chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it's he, uh, uh, Naomi continues to explain to her daughters-in-law, My daughters, I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, and even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grow up? In other words, it's a very pragmatic, a very reasonable, a very uh, practical uh, point and question to be answered. At this, they wept aloud again, and then Orpah finally made her choice and she said goodbye to her mother-in-law. Our choices will determine our destinies. The first choice we find in this story is the pragmatic choice. And by the way, it is not a bad thing to choose something pragmatically because it's obvious. We need to do this thing, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It is sensible, it is realistic, and certainly very practical. The problem with the pragmatic choice is you eliminate the God factor. The God factor is not the most sensible, is not the most realistic, and generally not the most practical. However, when we choose the God choice or the God factor, we find ourselves with resources beyond our own abilities. We find that the unknown opportunities become real to us, and finally, we see the power to see these opportunities come to pass or see it through. Our choices determine our destiny. The first choice is the pragmatic choice in the story, but the second choice is the godly choice. And this is the choice that Ruth took. Ruth chapter 1 verse 14 says, At this they went loud again, and Orpah uh, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. She made a different choice. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. In other words, this is your only hope. There is no basis for putting your trust in me. I'm a widow. I have nothing. I'm going to die in this famine. I'm not even sure what I'm going to find when I go back to Israel. Go back to your people and go back to your gods and, and, and go back with her. This is your only place that you can trust at the moment. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And here she says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. These are amazing statements. She says, where you go, I will go. There must be something about this family that this ungodly Moabite woman saw that was worth going to. And obviously, we find it in the verse where he says, is this God that you have that I want to keep as my God? I don't want to go back to the old ways. I want to go and choose God despite the fact that it's not sensible, realistic, practical, and there's nothing here that I can see that there's hope in, I want to hope in Him. Our choices determine our destinies. There's the pragmatic choice, and then there's the godly choice. 
a choice between being faithful and loyal to God and His people or rather than just being pragmatic because it is sensible, realistic, and practical. Further, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Where you die, I will die. She then only say, This is my ultimate destiny. Where you are buried, I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if in death separates you and me. This is somebody who's completely determined about the choice that she's making. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two of them, the two women, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can't this be Naomi? Now remember, this is 10 years after this woman had left with her husband and children, and now they find her 10 years back, and they're wondering, is this the same person? Naomi responds by saying, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The three choices that we find are first, the pragmatic choice, the godly choice, or the choice to be bitter. In this case, Naomi chose to be bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. No doubt that Naomi's grief and tragedy is horrible. It's huge to lose your husband in a famine, to lose your two sons, and to lose your future is grievous. Anyone who has been bankrupted at this level deserves to be bitter, but you can still make a choice. Here she's declaring that it's the Lord who brought me back empty. And let me just say this to you. There are times, there are evil things that happen in the world, and it's not necessarily because God caused it. And, but she was now identifying and said, change my name, change my identity. Instead of making the choice to identify with the possibilities of God, she's now saying, I'm identifying with the possibilities, with the realities of bankruptcy. The Lord has afflicted me. And this is bad theology, folks. Bad philosophy is not even pragmatic. Bad things happen. The degrees may differ. And admittedly so, her degrees are horrible. But then again, it is a choice that we can make. Now, he goes on in Hebrews 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. A bitter root is what this thing is all about. And we're warned by Scripture that when we go that route, we can expect trouble and defile many. Now, the story continues, and this is the story of the choices we make. In this particular case, the obvious choice is the godly choice. The two women, as we know, journeyed back to Jerusalem while Orpah decided to leave them. In Ruth chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter, verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Omi, once they got to Jerusalem, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain. In other words, because I'm not officially working for these people, I will pick up the things that they've dropped and left behind. And anyone in whose eyes I find favor. In other words, if I go there because I'm a foreigner, I'm a Moabite, I'm actually part of the enemies of Israel, it's going to be hard, but I've got to go and do it, lest we go hungry. Notice where it says, let me go to the fields. Let me pick up grain. You see, my second point is this. Godly choices are just as pragmatic. Too many people, but that, I'm not saying that these are not pragmatic choices. What I am saying is do not start with the pragmatic choice. Start with the godly choice. And then after that, understand that even godly choices are just as pragmatic. 
So many times, spiritual people or godly people tend to think that just because they made a godly choice, the rest of this is just a nonchalantly happening endeavor. Fact of the matter is, Ruth chose to go to work. And we find that continually in Ruth chapter 2 in verse 3. She went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz who happens to be from the clan of Elimelech. In other words, she had now found her way into this place where she was working for one of the relatives of of her father-in-law, which introduces us to the other character in the story, our newest character in the person of Boaz. Now, Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, the person working for him, who does this young woman belong to? Because uh, Ruth was actually a young Moabite woman. And the overseers replied, she's a Moabite. In other words, she's not exactly the, mo- the most liked person, but because she came back with Naomi, she's now been incorporated into the tribe of the Jews. She said, and this is the overseer recounting what Ruth had said to him, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. She was proven to be a hard worker, and a woman of character. Godly choices don't have to be impractical. Godly choices don't have to be just spiritual. Godly choices are just as pragmatic, and Ruth chose to work. Ruth did not just choose to work. Ruth did what was necessary. She didn't just work. She did the things that were necessary. Ruth chapter 2 verse 8 says, Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Very practical. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I told the men not to lay hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, all this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and asked him, Why have I found so much favor in your eyes that you notice me, she didn't say a Moabite, but a foreigner. She didn't want to even use the word because she knows that meant an enemy. Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband. In short, her godly choice was now paying off. Her character was proven by the reports that they've heard about her. How you have left your father and mother and your homeland, your ungodly place, and came to live with a people that you did not even know before. Your godly choice and your loyalty to Naomi and her God, our God, has been reported to me. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about 13 kilograms, 30 pounds, or an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough, and both of them were now happy. As the story progressed, Naomi spoke to Ruth. It's an interesting story because this is not a story of a mother and a daughter, or a husband and a wife, but two in-laws, a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law, which very often does not work. And yet here we find the providence of God. Ruth opens up in chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her daughter, to to Ruth, my daughter, I must find a home for you 
where you will be well provided for. You can't keep doing this. You're young, I'm old, and you need to find a place. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, basically, at the evening time, when every, all the harvest has been done, they winnow or basically throw the barley up in the air so that they can uh, remove the husks and, then, and keep that at the wind blowing it out, and they do that at night. And later in the evening, just before they rest, uh, th that was what they did. Now, further, Naomi says, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. Do not let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. There's nothing more pragmatic than these instructions. Wash, put on perfume, put on your best clothes. Go down there and surprise him. Don't tell him that you're there. Uh, this because obviously there's something about this man that likes you. Now, when he lies down, look at the pragmatism of these instructions. Sometimes people take the Bible too hyper-spiritually, forgetting that that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is the Word of God, and our choices need to be godly while at the same time becoming pragmatic as we've made the first correct choice. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. The reason why she was saying that is because at night, there was no lights. It will become dark. And you have to make sure that you're going to the right guy. <laughs> a very pragmatic instructions. Then uncover his feet. In other words, lift up the portion of his garment where his feet are and lie down there and he will tell you what to do. Essentially, what she was telling her was to expose the feet so that when you lie down there, positioned under her feet, you're saying, I'm being subject to you and I'm, I'm willing to be under your covering. I will do whatever you say. This is Ruth responding and doing whatever it takes. And Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Godly choices are just as pragmatic. Ruth chose to work. Ruth did what was necessary. And finally, Ruth did not entertain idealistic notions. Pragmatism includes this idea of being realistic of the understanding that sometimes we're too idealistic in who we're going to marry. And many times we are positioned to decide that based on romantic movies, novels, Facebook, Instagram, and all sorts of things rather than being pragmatic because we have been led by God and are following His ways. Ruth chapter 3 verse 7 unfolds when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Remember, it's getting dark now. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down as instructed by, his, by her mother-in-law. Now, obviously, some people think this was sensual. There's nothing sensual about this because during those days, if you tried to do what she was doing, you could be stoned to death. Now, she was doing this because she was part of the clan and she was now part of the tribe. In the middle of the night, something uh, startled the man and he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet and because it was dark she asked who are you he asked i am your servant ruth she said spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family this was the tradition the custom of the time that when a man did that he was offering to take this person under his covering now further down in verse 10 it says the lord bless you my daughter he replied the kindness this kindness that which you have shown earlier because of the way she treated Naomi, you have, is even greater. 
because you have not run after younger men, obviously because Boaz was an, of an older generation, but which you, whether rich or poor, you decided to even offer yourself to me. Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do what you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character, despite the fact that you might have a stigma for being a Moabite. The point is, godly choices are just as pragmatic. Ruth chose to work. Ruth chose to do what was necessary. Most of all, Ruth did not get herself influenced or entertain idealistic notions, but was ready to do what God had provided for her. Point number three, my last point is God is faithful to the bankrupt. The story of Ruth is a fascinating story. It tells us about the story of God being faithful to those who have lost everything. God orchestrates these events in invisible ways. The first time we see this in Ruth chapter 1 verse 22. Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. Think about the timing of this. And because of that timing and the orchestration of God's timing, she was able to go out and enter a field and began to glean with the harvesters and ending up in Boaz's field who was related to her. The love story of Boaz and Ruth is amazing. In fact, you see the invisible hand of God interceding, orchestrating to set this thing up. But just like any story, in love story, in a famine, with all this tragedy, there are complications to the story. Ruth chapter 3, verse 12, as they were conversing, here is Boaz explaining to Ruth the reality. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family, there is another man who is more closely related than I am. And so he instructs her and says, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty, that's obviously why this could not have been sexual because there is another guardian redeemer that was needed to marry somebody who had not had sex with this man. And good if he will redeem you. But if he's not willing to redeem you, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Here is Boaz entrusting to God that right now there's a complication, there's a glitch to this issue, but if the guide is not willing to redeem you, I will redeem you. Notice where it says, God is faithful to the bankrupt. He orchestrates in invisible ways, but God has ways far above our ways. Now, Ruth chapter 4, the last chapter of this book, is very interesting. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said to the man, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So we went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi has come back from Moab, and she is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so, but if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. The, the guy said, I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow. This was the custom and this was the rule, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, 
then I cannot redeem because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. In short, he didn't like the idea that he was going to get a Moabite for a wife. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. The act of removing the sandal and passing it on to the other guy is the act of consummating the deal. God is faithful to the bankrupt. God orchestrates in invisible ways, and in this particular case, God has ways that are far above our ways. God chooses uh, chooses us in our bankrupt state. This is the final point. Boaz and Ruth got married. They had a child, and that child became a woman. Uh, became the, the, the child that they had was something that the women of the place living there and called out and said to Naomi, now you have a son. We see the work of God, the redemption of God from the bankrupt state of Naomi to the bankrupt state of Ruth and God restoring all of that. And they named this child Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who happens to be the father of David. And this is the interesting part of the story of Ruth. Ruth was an outcast. She was an ungodly woman coming from a bad lineage. She was a Moabite. Boaz, on the other hand, was the son of a woman named Rahab, a prostitute from Jericho. And somehow in this story, God insists on putting these two people together to send the message that God does not forget nor abandon the people in their bankrupt state. Out of that came David. And out of David's lineage, we have our Savior. The person who will save us spiritually, relationally, physically, and in this case, even bankruptcy financially. Bankrupt but blessed. This is the wonderful story of the book of Ruth. A person who has no hope whatsoever, but our choices determine our destiny. The pragmatic choice is a choice, a good choice, but it takes away the God factor, the godly choice or the choice to be bitter. When we make the godly choice, Godly choices are not necessarily meaning not pragmatic. Ruth chose to work. Ruth did what was necessary. Ruth did not entertain idealistic notions. And God is faithful to the bankrupt. God orchestrates in invisible ways. God has ways way above our ways. And God chooses us in our bankrupt state as we've seen in the story. Join me in a short word of proclamation as we declare Jesus over our lives, pick up a piece of bread and a cup as we close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the story of Ruth in the Bible, a story of hope, a story of your grace, a story that even in our most bankrupt state, whether it be spiritual, relational, physical, or financial, you will come to our rescue. Help us to see your grace moving in our lives every day regardless of the famines we face in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Every Nation Singapore podcast. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. For more information, visit everynation.org.sg.